Um, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping it's a, it's a five-round slugfest and I, I scrape a victory by split decision. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network with me, your host, Silas Martin, and my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, we're looking forward to a pretty goddamn stacked UFC pay-per-view headlined by a long-awaited title rematch between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whittaker. Even with the first fight being as decisive as it is, getting to see the two most skilled middleweights of all time throw down again, you can't argue with that. And there's plenty of interesting stuff to talk about on this card. So I guess we'll just get right into the main event. Everybody knows Rob Whitaker got knocked out in the second round. And despite all of the stuff that's happened, this being a rematch two and a half years in the making, and them having had three and four fights respectively, Rob Whitaker going on a three-fight win streak, Israel Adesanya having defended his belt three times at middleweight, but also a uh, going up in weight to challenge for the light heavyweight title against Jan Blachowicz, which didn't go his way. Um, and despite all of that, there's kind of like n- not much reason to expect this fight to be basically any different. Just because um, I don't know if basically I, I don't know if any of the other matchups that they've had in that time are instructive for how this is going to work out. And I kind of think it's more interesting to approach this matchup from a perspective of the adjustments that Rob Whitaker should be making to make this a winnable matchup. The big thing that I think Rob Whitaker has to keep in mind going into the second fight, and a thing that a lot of people have already called out, is just taking smaller victories. Before the first fight, a lot of people called out Rob's blitzes as something that was going to get him into trouble, um, that he was just going to get caught in the way in. But Israel Adesanya isn't really that kind of counterpuncher, and Rob Whitaker was pretty consistently beating Israel Adesanya to the punch on the initial blitz. It was the fact that Rob Whitaker's, you know... (laughs) He's used to just being able to double down on that exchange and his opponent's running away from him and you know he can just chase after them and extend the combination where they're uncomfortable. The difference being that Israel Adesanya was able to sustain those pocket exchanges and put Rob Whitaker out of position and make the adjustments in the deeper layer of the exchanges that were getting him the counters that got Rob Whitaker knocked out. So... Big thing I think he should invest in is just being okay with landing in the first layer and then just getting the fuck out of dodge and just not giving too much away early because Israel Adesanya is someone who'll give away a decent chunk of the first round to put his feints out there and make reads. And I think if Rob just doesn't give him that much to work with, Israel Adesanya isn't going to be as comfortable just leading on him and kicking the shit out of him from range. So what do you think about this one, Christian? I think Robert Whitaker should wrestle. It sounds very reductive, but it's the thing he should be doing in the matchup. He's a very good wrestler. I, I'm not sure if he would have a lot of prolonged success doing it or, or getting damage off on the ground. Or I, I really don't think he'd be able to submit Israel. But Rob should be wrestling. It'll increase his chances overall. Uh, just the threat of a takedown is going to be annoying enough, and it didn't really seem like Rob had any intention of wrestling in their first fight. So. That's it's kind of 
all he could be doing differently because he's doing a lot of things well already. It's just, you know, strategically, there's broader adjustments he could make, like you were saying, taking smaller victories. But other than that, he's able to win the matchup. He just doesn't seem to have the strategic depth or uh, reliable tactical decisions that he will make going into a fight that actually pull out with a win. Yeah, so the the one thing that we may we do kind of have some reason to expect to be different is that we might see some wrestling from Rob this time because Israel has been wrestled a bit in a fight he lost and Rob has done a bit more wrestling since then. And like you say, he's, he's always been a very solid takedown artist. But um, Jan Blachowicz, other than being significantly larger than both these men, um, used his wrestling to seal a victory in a fight where he'd already outkicked and outjabbed Israel Adesanya, which... Um, was also helped by the fact that he was uh, much closer to re- reaching height parity with Israel Adesanya. I mean, so if Rob can do some some of that stuff and be more diligent about picking off kicks and keeping his feet under him while he cl- closes range behind his jab, then there's something to build off of there, but the reach disadvantage really does make that approach a lot more difficult for Rob. And then the, with the wrestling aspect, I think Rob really has to try and get takedowns in open space because that... Israel Adesanya really seems to be one of those guys whose takedown defense only works when he's, when his back is to the cage and he can use it for stability while he's fighting hands. Um, so if Rob can get his like reactive double under game going in open space, like you say, he's probably not going to be able to leverage that to get huge amounts of damage off, but it's something for Israel to worry about and something to make him work. I would like so, to touch on one aspect that is pretty rough for Rob, I think, in specifically in the context of it being a rematch, is that Israel is more likely to make adjustments that will be beneficial than Rob is, I think. There's a lot of things that Israel could have done in the first matchup to make it even less close than it was, because the fight was somewhat competitive between Rob getting knocked down, but it was trending towards Israel pretty hard by the point that Rob got knocked down the second time and finished. So I think that's something that's going to be very difficult for Rob, assuming that he doesn't come in dramatically different than he did in the first fight, which doesn't seem likely. So what's your pick? I'm picking Israel Adesanya by knockout in round one. Oh. Well, I'm picking Robert Whitaker to win a decision because I like him. But anyway, fuck that fight because the co-main event is where the real party's at. Tied to Ivasa versus Derek Lewis. Take it away, Christian. I don't know if I could be more excited for a fight. It's my two favorite heavyweights, Derek Lewis, a... Very patient, you could call him, counterpuncher that has recently put on a pressure fighting performance. And Taito Ivasa, who has always been known to be fun, but he's recently developed a new wrinkle in his game, which is being able to pressure effectively. So I really don't know how either guy is going to approach each other, which makes the, the matchup all the more exciting. But I do think that if Taito Ivasa is able to start hitting the body, maybe get some good leg kicks in, that he could get an attrition finish later on in the second or third. And I think that if Derek Lewis lands a single, like, clear connection on Ty's chin, that he will knock him out. Not due to Ty being chinny or anything. It's just, it's Derek Lewis. And Ty Trivasa is at a slight size disadvantage, I'd say. But there's a lot of aspects of the fight that are are really hard to break down pre-fight because they're both kind of aimless in... uh, tactical direction normally. Ty will always do low kicks and he'll always do hook combinations when he gets his opponent to the fence. But Derek Lewis is 
he's just as likely to stand against the fence as he is to jump at you every 45 seconds and then stand perfectly still in the middle of the octagon. And I, I do not think that the grappling is going to end up mattering at all in the fight, although if Derek gets on top, it's going to be rough for Ty. What do you think about the matchup? You mean if Derek gets on top of Ty, it's going to be rough for Derek? Oh, true, true. Yeah, Ty might bring out the bottom game ground and pound. Yeah, he might, you know, if he starts exchanging punches from bottom mount, it could get dangerous. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know how much there is to say about this fight technically. I think you basically nailed it. It's going to be sick. Ty Tuivasa is like one of the only heavyweights I think I can rely on to not be scared of Derek Lewis's power. And that's like, it's probably going to get him knocked out. But also, if Derek Lewis just does his normal thing of just like, backing into the cage and putting his hands over his face as soon as he starts taking any kind of attritional damage, then like Ty of Tuivasa might just pour, pour on some insane volume. Get Derek out of there. Okay, and so next up, we have what appears to be a pretty clear number one contender match in the middleweight division, assuming that Israel Adesanya wins again, because if Rob wins, they'll surely have to do a third fight, which will tie up the title picture for like another year. But um, Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier. Derek Brunson, after having been absolutely obliterated by both of the guys headlining this card, has changed camp and made some big improvements, put together, I think, a five-fight win streak at this point. And, you know, if he wins this, he really will have made a genuine case for a title rematch. You know, his last loss was to Israel Adesanya. But uh, I think Jared Cannon is kind of a pretty rough matchup for him just because um, he seems to have really shored up a lot of his defensive wrestling liabilities simply by going down to middleweight and being a fucking hoss. He's incredibly strong and he will get taken down, but it's pretty hard to keep him down. And Derek Brunson isn't the most devastating top player. He will get some damage off, but he's not great at establishing and maintaining dominant positions. And... And Jared Cannonier will kind of just stay calm and get to his feet. He's also um, an insane puncher. Uh, he's very long and fast and just much more mechanically efficient with his punches than Derek Brunson is. Um, he also just has a good understanding of stance dynamics and will switch stance to open up different counter-punching opportunities. Um, like how uh, the, the big shot that he dropped Kelvin Gastelum was a right hook as he switched to southpaw. And Derek Brunson, for all of the improvements he's made in staying more composed and calm and consistent in fights, he still just doesn't really have a, a stance that like fundamentally facilitates good defense. Uh, he's probably just going to do okay for a little bit and then get cracked on the chin and get knocked the fuck out, which makes me sad because I like Derek Brunson. I'm really rooting for him in this matchup. I think it's a really rough matchup for Derek, but I do think he's going to win the first two rounds. So that could make it interesting because it's a three-round fight. So maybe Derek gets the first two rounds, you know, fights through some damage in the third round and then gets a decision. But it's it's such a losing matchup for him over, over the course of three rounds, I think. Because if, if Cannonier gets a single good hit off on Brunson's chin, it seems like he would just get knocked out or, or hurt really badly. He's very good at recovering because he's just very sporadic whenever someone's attacking him. He, he's very likely to just dive at your legs and get his head between your legs and just hide and, and you know stave off being murdered. 
But I think Cannoneer's patience is going to really suit him in the matchup. He's very calm. He doesn't panic when getting wrestled at all. He, he just calmly defends the position, gets back up to his feet, and then tries to look for counters. So I'm expecting that to happen. I'm picking Jared Cannonier by late second round knockout. Yeah, I tend to agree. But I really would love to see Derek Brunson take this one and work his way back to a title shot, even though, you know, he'll probably just lose in the exact same way that he did to Israel Adesanya or Rob Whitaker again. But he's earned it. So next up, a slightly puzzling matchup in the bantamweight division, just in terms of the matchmaking. I think the fight itself is pretty goddamn fun. Kyla Phillips versus Marcelo Rojo. Uh, Marcelo Rojo, having made a very courageous performance in a losing effort in his UFC debut, short notice up a weight class against Charles Jordan, where he took a crazy fight to Charles Jordan and just couldn't out-crazy Charles Jordan. And Kyla Phillips, who's in a little bit of a weird place because he, for a lot of people, he kind of came out of nowhere in that Song Yudong performance. Like, we, we were like, oh, who's this, like, bantamweight Jesus dude? He's going to get knocked the fuck out by Song Yudong. And then he put on a, just a really smart, composed outboxing performance that really just seemed beyond his years, as well as displaying the uh, really sneaky athleticism that you wouldn't uh, suspect him to have <laughs> on a first glance. But then um, he had a fight with Halion Paiva, who he really seemed to treat as just like a can for him to get a highlight reel knockout against. Gassed himself out going for the highlight reel and then ended up dropping a decision. So I think a lot of how this fight's going to play out depends on how Kyla Phillips wants to approach this fight. And I would hope coming off of that loss, he'd be able to take that as a lesson and you know, go back to the stuff that got him to the dance in that Song Yudong fight. Um, which, if he does, I think he will probably outmaneuver Marcelo Rojo pretty easily, just because he's a good bit faster. He can like use a defensive jab and pivot off of it. Um, he can hit reactive takedowns on somebody who's pressuring him. And the big thing that sealed those later rounds for Halion Paiva was his wrestling. Now, Marcelo Rojo, I do think is more aggressive and offensively potent than Hallion Piver, but I think even if Kyla Phillips is tired, if he needs to get on top of Marcelo Rojo to burn the rest of the round, he probably can. So, love to see Marcelo Rojo take this one. He's tremendous fun. He's tough and scrappy as shit, and he'll take a fight to anyone, but this is a rough one for him. I think it's a really good matchup for Kyler at this point, just to kind of like a level test because we can see that Kyler Phillips is really good, but we don't know if he's good enough to easily beat Marcelo Rojo or just good enough to barely beat Marcelo Rojo. So if he can really beat Marcelo Rojo, I think we should start giving Kyler Phillips uh, matchups in the like kind of early into the top 15. I think Marcelo Rojo has a good way into the fight and that's body work, but I don't know if he has the goods to not get injured very badly while going for the body work. But over the course of the full fight, I think he could really slow down Kyler if he keeps on the body and keeps pushing forward. Because though uh, uh, Kyler Phillips will be able to outmaneuver him, I'm sure, as you said, he's not infallible on the back foot. He occasionally will get his back foot to the fence. And Marcelo Rojo is really good offensively. So it's just his defense is going to get him really hurt, I think. I'm picking Kyler Phillips by knockout in the second. Yeah, I'm feeling something similar to that. 
but also not ruling out a, a gritty third round stoppage from Rojo either. But anyway, it's time to get to the people's main event. Bobby Green. This is a fine natural hack brass, who cares? But Bobby Green is the coolest man in the world. And if you don't like Bobby Green, then you're a fucking square and you don't like appreciate the finer things about fighting. Christian, why is Bobby Green so cool? He has way better defense than he's given credit for. People act like he just pretends to be doing defense and then mean mugs his opponent. But he's actually really tight defensively in a lot of scenarios. He's hard to kick cleanly. He's hard to punch cleanly. It's really hard to get any offense of any sort on him cleanly. You you can't even get a good takedown entry because he's always switching stances. He, he's a very good jabber. He is not really a finisher, but he recently got his first finish in a very long time against Ali Quinta, who seemed to be a layup matchup for Bobby Green. So, But getting the knockout is still impressive. He hadn't gotten one in, I believe, it was seven years or so. So, And fighting Nazareth Hakprast is kind of surprising. I expected they would give Bobby Green someone higher ranked, but the UFC does really like Nazareth Hakprast, and he's a decent fighter. So I think he's going to bring a good fight out of Bobby Green, and I'm picking Bobby Green by decision. Yeah, we've often likened Bobby Green to uh, lightweight Jorge Masvidal in that he's like secretly the most skilled fighter in MMA, but he like doesn't do enough and thinks that he should win fights just because he's cool and will often drop split decisions. Um, but I also do think a big part of that is just his optics aren't great for MMA judges sometimes because of his defense, because it's actually very good, but a lot of MMA judges and just viewers in general can't like tell when shots are being rolled and mitigated. So Nasrat Hakprast, uh, it's funny that he was getting all of the Kelvin Gastelum comparisons because he just kind of looks like him. But then you watch him fight and it's like, oh, he's Kelvin Gastelum. He's just like, he's a good athlete. He's pretty fast, like pretty powerful. He's a southpaw who just like, will just leap across distance with a really quick one-two or a three-two. And he'll like try and do a takedown, but won't do that much with it. He's Calvin Gastelum, but with a worse chin in a better division. So I just kind of think that Nasrat Hagprast is going to be the perfect canvas for Bobby Green to do all of the cool boxing shit that he likes on. Because Nasrat just, I don't think, has the creativity to work around Bobby Green's defense. You know, we saw someone who just wants to step in with the same big bomb in Ally Quinta, and that was a flawless victory for Bobby Green. He, he literally didn't take a clean punch. As well as that, Bobby Green's just an incredibly diligent defensive grappler. You can take him down, but you're not going to get anything done with it. So yeah, I'm also going to pick Bobby Green by decision. Because Nasrat Hackpressed is pretty tough. It is important to note that Bobby Green may lose a robbery. I feel like that's always present in a matchup where Bobby Green isn't super easily going to beat someone up because he might be kind of beating him up and then just not do enough for two rounds and then lose a decision or not do enough for one round and then the judges not notice that he was actually defending all of the, the offense from his opponent for an entire round. So anyway, let's go Bobby Green. And if he loses a split decision, it's just because the judges are fucking squares that just don't get it. Uh, Andre Alosky's fighting Jared Vanderer. Uh, we're not going to go too much into this, but I do remember uh, when we saw Jared Vanderer's fight live against Justin Taffer, 
we were all just fucking losing our minds at the absolute kickboxing clinic that Vanderer was putting on. But um, he's probably just going to like lose a decision to Andrei Olovsky. This is how it goes. This is like a heavyweight version of Volkanovsky versus like maybe Calvin Cater. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. See those inside leg kicks? And so Roxanne Modafferi is fighting Casey O'Neill, and we've got to at least give a brief moment to Roxanne because this is her retirement fight. And um, it's just, it's the most remarkable, unremarkable career that there is. She's a pioneer of women's MMA, debuted in, I believe, 2003. This is going to be her 45th fight. Well, 50th if you include her fights on The Ultimate Fighter. And she's just like the worst athlete that's ever competed in the UFC. But just through hard work and, and just a good mindset has just never stopped improving, even at this point in her career. And um, she's probably going to get fucking mulched by Casey O'Neill, but I hope she does well and I hope she stays retired and enjoys her life after fighting. Because if you don't appreciate Roxanne Modafferi, then you're, you're a cold, heartless human being. Yeah, it's a terrifying matchup for Roxanne Modafferi because the UFC really wants Casey O'Neill to be a thing. And I do, for that matter. I think she's a very fun fighter. But it's just harsh to see them give Roxanne Modafferi a finisher like this. But I'm hoping that if we all give the good enough vibes towards Roxanne, she will make it to a decision. That being said, I'm picking Casey O'Neill by knockout in the second. Probably grounded pound finish. She has a really nice clinch game. It's it's not good defensively. And she's not really good defensively in any scenario, but it's not necessarily due to her defense. It's just she's slow and has pretty slow reactions. So people just catch her from getting too close to her way quicker than she's able to react to. Her kickboxing is fine, but it's definitely more than she needs with how good she is and how grimy she is on the ground. She's just a, a finisher. She'll she'll do so much shit to just like work you into bad positions and break your posture and break you mentally. She digs her elbows into your face. She'll rub her palms against your eyes. She'll throw really nice elbows when she gets good position. She's fully willing to sell out an offense on top. She's confident on the ground, like whenever she's on her back so she can sweep people really well. She's always looking for ways to trip people in the clinch. She can get people, she can outwork people very easily. She has a good cardio. So I just think she's consistent and seems like she's going to be around for a while. So I'm getting on the bandwagon early. Yeah, Roxanne Modafferi, um, she's of course a, like just a very skilled grappler. That's absolutely her A game. But I, I tend to agree that just the pace of just sheer violence that Casey O'Neill is trying to deliver in every phase of fighting, no matter where it's going, is just going to be rough for Roxy as the fight goes deep. And I just, yeah, I think she's probably going to get stopped in the second or third, which also makes me sad. But Casey O'Neill seems cool, and Roxy will always have the Macy Barber win, the Shevchenko win. I'm just going to say Shevchenko, and I'm not going to give any context to that. So next up in the flyweight division, we have a top 10 contenders matchup between Matt Schnell and Alex Perez, a fight that I find slightly puzzling, but it's kind of too relevant not to mention. But what do you think about this one, Christian? I think Matt Schnell is very fun, and I think Alex Perez is going to beat the shit out of him. 
Mastrell has a lot of defensive liabilities, and Alex Perez is urgent, if anything. He's definitely going to come forward and put a bunch of punches on him. And Matt Schnell is not a good ring general. And he, though he's very good on the ground, I don't think that Alex Perez is the type of guy that he can leverage that against at all. One, due to a strength disadvantage, Schnell will probably be dealing with. And two, the fact that Perez is just very dominant on the ground whenever he's fighting someone that's a lot weaker than him. And he only has losses to two very, very elite fighters in Joseph Benavidez and Davison Figueredo. So it just feels like kind of a levels matchup, which is a little unfair to match Schnell because he's a good fighter, but he doesn't have the athletic gifts to be in the matchup from the first second. He might submit Alex Perez, but I'm not expecting it. I'm, I'm expecting Alex Perez to push him to the fence and then throw like a 30 punch combination and finish him probably in the first round. Yeah. Matt Schnell, as you say, he has a lot of interesting looks, but his tendency to like, just rely on a bunch of like cool boxing defense tricks that he kind of knows how to do, but don't really connect together. And he doesn't quite have the mechanics for plus his reliance on feints to open up reactions from his opponent. If, if you're just a more physically imposing fighter than match now, and you just don't worry about the feints and the kind of smoke and mirrors boxing defense stuff. I think if Alex Perez just wants to step in and crack him on the chin, he can probably do that. But I hope we see them grapple because they are both cool on the ground. Okay, so the last fight we're going to cover from this card is a lightweight bout between Hanato Moicano and Alex Hernandez. And I think this is a worrying one for appreciators of Hanato Moicano because he's just basically a more skilled fighter in every dimension. But he's kind of slow and has some defensive liabilities and isn't the most durable guy in the world. Whereas Alex Hernandez is just a pretty imposing athlete. He's very fast. He hits hard and he's strong. And when he's feeling himself against a lesser athlete, he will open up with some pretty creative combination striking. But he also kind of just like falls apart in every fight where he can't just dictate all of the terms from the beginning. And Hanato Moicano... He's a very good ring general. He has very good footwork, although that's his main line of defense and doesn't have great defense past it. But he's also got a great jab that when he opens up on, he has a lot of ways that he can just play off of it and just absolutely tool someone up from range. So I think if he can get that stuff going, he's going to jab and kick the shit out of Alex Hernandez and maybe finish him with a submission in the third round. What do you think, Christian? I think that Hernandez being a lot faster and Moicano being way too willing to exchange with people, regardless of their athletic attributes in comparison to him, is going to get Moicano knocked out in the first round. But I do really want Moicano to win. Though I kind of like Alexander Hernandez. I find it charming that he's a bit of an asshole. He's like a frat boy. He's like a bully from a 90s TV show. Yeah, like he's not evil. He's just a bit of a dickhead. So yeah, I mean it is it is the uh it's the classic technician versus athlete matchup. And I'm always gonna root for the technician, but probably pick the athlete. <laughs> so I mean that's only mainly maybe half the fights on this card. It's absolutely huge. Like Douglas De Silva and Drage is fighting some guy. That'll be cool because Douglas De Silva will probably knock the shit out of him. 
But if you want a detailed breakdown of all of the fights on the card, Dan and Fania will be doing that on this same podcast network, so watch out for that. Um, the last thing we're going to mention today is a couple of fights from the One Championship card coming up on Friday. John Lineker is fighting Viviano Fernandez for the 145-pound title, which they call Bantamweight because it's One Championship. But um, John Lineker... Of course, cut from the UFC because of just being famously unreliable and pulling out of a ton of fights, but every fight he's in is just tremendous fun. He's an all-time great action fighter. He just wants to walk people down and punch them in the body and then in the face, and he's got a stupid chin and will throw down with literally everyone. I don't know how much there is to say about his matchup with Bibiano Fernandez other than he's probably going to knock him out but like might get wrestled a bit, but Fernandez would have to do that over five rounds. And at the end of three rounds of, you know, pretty much just outclassing John Lineker, TJ Dillashaw was looking pretty ragged, running along the fence, getting his ribs smashed up. And who knows how even that could have gone with two more rounds. So, I don't know. Let's fucking go, John Lineker. What do you think, Christian? I think let's go, John Lineker. That's all I think Think about the match. If I've not watched enough Bibiano to have a, a competent read on the fight. Hopefully it's very competitive, though. I, I like seeing John Lineker fights go a little bit longer than him just starching someone in the first two. And then one other fight to look out for from that card, um, I believe just before the co-main event, Jonathan Haggerty is fighting Monkel Petch. Jonathan Haggerty, uh, pretty much the best export we've got for British Muay Thai right now. The former one championship flyweight Muay Thai champion um, came in and beat Sam A. Gyungadao who is an incredibly experienced former Lumpini champion with over 300 fights, who's still, you know, since then, uh, very consistent and winning plenty of fights against good guys in one. Jonathan Haggerty came in, I think, with less than 20 fights. He was about 21, 22 years old, put on an incredible performance against a guy who's seen everything and took the title and then had a really good fight with Rod Tang that didn't go his way and then just got obliterated in the rematch. But he, he's a good fighter. Um, he's a really interesting, like, outside lead kicker. There's a lot of lead teeping and building off of his uh, teep in interesting ways. Um, he's actually invested a lot more in his hands in his recent fights and he's finding interesting ways to set up, stepping in with long straight punches off of fainting teeps and you know other setups that he does with his kicks. He's fighting... Uh, Monkel Petch, Petchian D, another former Lumpini champion from uh, 2017 at 130 pounds. He's kind of a classic Moy Mat, hard boxing combinations and low kicks, but still a decently well-rounded kicking game. Should be an interesting fight. Should check it out. Yeah, so that's it for this episode. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this content, as well as all of the other stuff the fight site puts out, please consider supporting them on Patreon. There's a ton of tiers with a whole bunch of different Patreon benefits, but just a pledge of $3 will get you access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. Join us on the next episode where we're going to be talking about next week's Fight Night card, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fazib. Really quite interesting matchup in the UFC's lightweight division. So yeah, we'll catch you later. Peace! Peace!